0: Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Ruth, chapter one, verses one through seven. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in, in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malan and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated.
1: Thank you, honey. All right, well, good morning, everybody. As you may have guessed, we are starting a brand new series today. This is actually a book of the Bible that I have never had the privilege of Uh, teaching. And so I'm very, very excited about what God is going to do in this series, what he's going to do in your life and your family as a result of um, uh, studying his word. Now to help us begin to think about this series and this book of the Bible, I want to talk about the movies for a minute, specifically types of genres of movies. So uh, how many of you would say, uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, action movies are the best kind of movies to watch? How many would? Yeah, a lot of guys. uh, I would agree with that. My first, uh, you know, uh, preference is for action movies. I really like that. How many of you would say, no, 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 not action. It's comedies. Because listen, life is hard. People can sometimes be mean. You got to laugh right? So comedies, okay. All right, how about Marvel or DC? It's got to be a superhero movie, sure. Some of you out there. What about thrillers? Yeah, few thrillers. Some of us need more thrills in our lives, right? How about dramas? Any drama fans in the audience? How many of you are like, you know what, I have enough drama in my life already, I don't need to watch it on a screen? Yeah, some of us are there, sure. Uh, What about romance? Yeah, now, this would include any Hallmark movie ever made. This would, uh, we sometimes actually call these kind of movies, uh, we have slang for it, it's called chick flicks, right? And we call them chick, chick flicks because, well, chicks like to watch them and guys don't like to admit that they like to watch them. So if you're a guy and you like chick flicks, have the courage, my hands up. I sometimes like them. Yeah, if you guys are courageous enough, the rest of you, we're waiting for you to man up. All right. Well, um, so here's my point in this opening. If this book of the Bible, if the book of Ruth, were going to be made into a movie, it would fall into one. It would fall into two genres, and the first would be, well, it is a chick flick. Uh, for two reasons. Number one, it's primarily about women. And secondly, of the 85 verses uh, in the four chapters of the book of Ruth, 55 of those verses are dialogue. There are people talking to one another. That's why we call it a chick flick. Jackie and I will have this conversation at home, right? Sometimes I'll come home and say, Honey, I have used all my words for the day. I don't have any words left, right? And it's a proven fact that women can speak generally speaking. In fact, we know they speak twice as many words every day as men do. So there's lots of dialogue there. But it would also be something else. Ruth would be a drama it would be a drama in fact it just begins with like heartbreaking incredible heartbreaking tragedy and the reality is some of us can resonate because I mean almost all of us at one time or another we're gonna endure a season of something really really hard really really painful in our lives And one of the other things that's so incredible about the book of Ruth, one of the reasons I love it so much, is there is nothing in the book of Ruth that is miraculous or supernatural. There are no big fish that swallow people. There are no burning bushes. There are no dreams. There are no revelations. There are no explicit, overt interventions from God. There are no dramatic answers to prayer. What you have in the book of Ruth is what you have in this room. Just a group of people trying to make a living, trying to get by, and trying to survive. Anybody relate? I know I most certainly do. Now, um, uh, what, uh, the other thing I love about the book of Ruth is these are people just like us. They're making decisions about where they have to live or where they want to live. They're making decisions about what they're going to eat, what they're not going to eat. They're, they're making all the same kind of decisions that you and I have to make every, every single day. And uh, so the person I want to speak to today is this person. Maybe you're here today and you just feel stuck like you just like you're just stuck in your circumstances and you just can't find your way through or maybe you're here this morning and you're just in a place in your life that you never thought you would be like you never imagined that your life would end up here that it would look like this well our hope is that throughout this entire series, you're going to be, God's just going to give you hope stacked on hope. In fact, the title for this series is Ruth, Hope in Hard Times. But it's not just hope in hard times. Friends, every one of us in this room, we can't live without hope. You can't live a day without hope. And I'll prove it. Hope is why people buy ab machines, right? Right? Hope is why people get married. Hope is why people have kids. Hope is why people join the gym. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. You can live with a lot of things, but you can't live without hope. And so I just want to take a minute before we dig into the message, and I just want to pray for you and us that our Heavenly Father would just stack hope upon hope for us this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray your living word would build our faith. We pray that you would comfort those of us who are in trouble. We pray that you would strengthen those of us who are weak. We pray that you would uh, just give us your will, those of us that are confused or stuck. And we ask for all this in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. So, chapter one, we're going to look at verse one. The very beginning of the book says something really, really important, and it would be so easy to just gloss over it. It says, In the days when the judges ruled. Now, in other words, in the days where there were no kings. Now, if you have a paper Bible, uh, you're going to notice that the book right before Ruth is the book of judges. And so, Uh, In fact, the last verse, the very last thing you read in the Bible before you begin to read the book of Ruth is this uh, uh, this verse. It's from the very last verse in the book of Judges, and here's what it says. In the days when the judges ruled, in other words, the same time frame that Ruth took place, uh, everyone did what was right in their own eyes or the version you're looking at everyone did what was right or they did as what they saw fit in other words they followed their heart they followed their truth they lived their life according to their own convictions not god's convictions right and so that's the time frame that's what's happening people are just doing what they want they're just doing what they feel Like, hey, if I have needs, I'm going to see that they're met. I don't care what God says or thinks. Um, So in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. That means that food was very, very hard to come by. Uh, And he says this. And what we're going to see, so we're going to see, we're going to bump into a family this morning that doesn't know where their next meal is going to come from, and they get desperate. They get so desperate, they decide to make a move. And here's what what they decided. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. This man's name was Elimelech. Everybody say Elimelech. I love to say the word Elimelech. Elimelech. I love to say it. It just flows. I like to say the word waffle, but that has nothing to do with our story today. So this man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of their Two sons were Malon and Kilion, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. So, what I want to do is I want to break down the names of these characters in the story. So, we have first of all, Elimelek. He is the husband. He's the father. Uh, He is the leader of the family. In that culture, in that day, the husband was always the leader of the family, and his name meant, God is my king. God is my king. Then we have the wife, the mom, her name is Naomi. Her name means sweet or pleasant. So you have God is my king with sweet and pleasant, and they have two children. And in that day, people would name their children based on one of two things. Either uh, a prophetic word that God had spoken to them about who or what their children would grow up to be, or they would name, they didn't name their children day one, they may wait a week or two, and uh, they would name their children based on what they observed, or what they saw, or what they kind of heard from God as they were watching their young children. And so uh, you have Malon and Kilion, and so Malon actually means sick or sickly, so he, Malon probably, Malon probably struggled early on. His parents observed that. And then Kileon means frail or tired. So you have God is my king with sweet and pleasant and their two sons sick and tired. And so some of you are probably like kind of wondering, wow, that's interesting. Is it too late to change the names of my kids? Because I could probably come up with something a little bit similar to that, right? I mean, I think I really could. And so you've got this family, and they're moving from a Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem should ring a bell. We talked a lot about Bethlehem during the Christmas story. Who was born in Bethlehem? Yeah, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, very important. But he leaves Bethlehem and he goes, he takes uh, sweet and pleasant and sick and tired and he moves all the way uh, to Moab. Now, Moab would have been about a 50 mile journey. You could probably, if you walk three miles an hour, you could probably walk there in a couple of long days, maybe eight or nine hours a day. So it isn't terribly far, but it is a different country, different language, different culture. And he, so he leaves Bethlehem, he goes to Moab. And I just want to say, this turns out to be a terrible mistake for his family. And I'll tell you why. First of all, God had strictly forbidden his people from mingling with the Moabites now you say well why what's wrong with Moab what did God have against them well you can actually read about their story in Genesis chapter 19 and so the first thing we find out in Genesis 19 is they are children of incest but that wasn't even their biggest problem their biggest problem was that they worship the false god Chemosh Now, Chemosh, they were so devoted to their worship of this God that they would literally take their children and sacrifice them on an altar to this God. This is the kind of people that they were in general. And if you wonder what God thought of Moab, we can see that in Psalm chapter 60 verse 8. He says, look, Moab is my wash basin. In other words, Moab is the place I go when I want to wash my dirty feet. That's what God thought of the people of Moab, okay? And so they go to Moab, a place God had forbidden them to go, And so it's interesting, right? Because Elimelech means God is my king, but what's Elimelech doing? He's doing what's right in his own eyes. He's doing what everyone else was doing during the time of Judges. Now, to be fair, I don't want to be too hard on Elimelech because the truth is he was desperate, I mean, you know, there was a famine. He was probably thinking, if I go to Moab, there's going to be a better economy. I'll be able to get a better job. I'll be able to better provide, you know, for my my family. And so we can all understand that. And, and I get that too, but I would just issue a, a gentle warning to some of us because here's what I know sometimes God calls us to bigger and better sometimes God does lead us to better pay and praise be and that's a blessing but sometimes you don't want to leave that better pay you don't want to leave better pay for a lack of spiritual protection and community in other words Now sometimes people will leave, you know, Shelbyville, and they'll go find a great church and they're in a job with better pay. Well, hallelujah. That's a good thing and a good day. But a lot of times, well, sometimes what I'll hear is people, they leave for better pay, uh, but then they lament they can't find a church family uh, that they they feel like they really want to plug into or be a part of. And so in the name of economic provision, they forfeit spiritual protection and spiritual community. Don't ever ever do that. Don't ever ever do that. That's what Elimelech is doing. Now he's desperate, so I understand, but nonetheless that's you know what he's what he's doing. And so I would just say this be very very careful not to prioritize economics over the presence and power of God. So Things get a little tough in Bethlehem, so he leaves, they go to Moab. Uh, And so, uh, you know, when times get tough, here's the question, right? Do you continue to trust and obey God in Bethlehem, or do you go to Moab? Because I think most of us would say, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I might even repeat Elimelech's name, I might even say that God is the king of my life. But the reality about me is that I still sometimes do what is right. In my own eyes maybe you're here this morning and you're dating you know his word says that uh, followers of Christ should uh, should postpone sex until marriage that sex only makes sense in in the confines of a committed and loyal relationship where a man and woman uh, know one another and are able to deepen their relationship in that context you know but you and so hey i'm a follower of christ so that's what i'm going to do right but some of you you're like well i have needs i don't really care i mean yeah i would probably say that god is the king of my life but the reality is i'm going to do what is right in my own eyes as it relates to my to my sex life you know um god is my king so what does that mean well some of us are here and you know we're not faithful givers. We're not faithful tithers. And God would say, look, you have to offer up the first part of what I give you. You have to offer that up back to me. But you would say, I'm not going to do it. You know, things are tight. It's hard. I don't want to tighten my belt that much or whatever your reason is, right? So do you trust and obey God or do you go to Moab? My God is the king of my life. I'm a Christian. And so, you know, um, but you know what? when i get stressed when i get overwhelmed i love to get drunk and now here's what's fascinating about drunkenness the bible uh does not condemn a a a drink necessarily what it does condemn however quite sternly and strongly is drunkenness and i'll tell you why this is ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 And here's what he says, don't get drunk on wine, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I love that contrast. So here's what it's getting to, it gets to control. He's saying, look, don't yield control of your life to an impersonal alcoholic substance. Yield the control of your life to the Spirit of God that lives within you. See, so this is an issue of control. He's saying, don't ever be controlled by alcohol. Instead, be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. So do you trust God? Do you obey him? Or do you go to Moab, you know? Um, so yeah, that's what they did. They went to Moab. Uh, You know, God's the king of my life, at least I would say that, but sometimes I just want to do what's right in my own eyes. Well, before I tell you what happens in this story, it's important that we identify, I think, with the hardship that Elimelech and Naomi were facing, and so I want to tease this out in kind of a modern way. So I want you to imagine you live in Shelbyville, Indiana, and an economic depression hits, and your husband loses his job. And it's not only him, it's really everyone you know. All your neighbors lost their jobs as well. And at first you'd kind of tell yourself, well, it's going to be, you know, okay, this is only temporary. My husband's going to be able to find work. Um, I'm looking for work. I haven't been able to find work either. either." But you stick it out, you know, by, you you cut back, you go to the mall less often, you buy five-gallon buckets of mac and cheese at Costco. You do all the things that you need to do. But as time passes, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. This is their situation. And then a year passed and then two years pass and still economic depression no job now you're desperate and you've had to sell your house you've had to sell your car you've had to to sell everything you have that's valuable just so you can eat Uh, you've worn the same thing for weeks but you don't even care anymore because you're so consumed by trying to figure out what you're going to eat for your next meal the reality is you're just in survival mode Your family's down to the last couple of dollars and even their last bits of food. So in a final desperate attempt to provide for your family, you move to a hostile foreign country with a people you don't know, a language you don't speak, that you're not familiar with, a culture that's strange and different than you, a culture that certainly worships different gods than the true gods and you're just there only because you're hoping for a better life. I mean that's why people move, isn't it? I mean any time we move, the reason that we move is cuz we're hoping for a better life. Well, so that's why they move. And now if you're Naomi, everything that you have, everything you love, everything you value is the three men in your life. You have a husband and you have two sons. Remember, there was no social security in that day. Uh, if, if, in that day, you needed, if you were a female, if you were a woman, you needed those men in your life to provide for you. You weren't allowed to work in that culture. You just weren't. And so women were very, very dependent on men. And so they moved to Moab to survive. And here's the irony of this story. They moved to Moab to survive, and then Elimelech dies and then 10 years and then we're told that uh, they have the two sons Malon and Kilion right and um, they both because they're living in Moab they marry Moabite women Uh, one of those women is named Orpah and the other of those uh, I said Orpah not Oprah okay we're not talking about Oprah Winfrey here Uh, Orpah, and then another young widow by the name of Ruth. And so as long as you have a husband and then your two sons, you can survive, right? There's always hope. But then her husband dies. And, you know, I wish I could tell you that everything worked out, that they lived their own truth, they followed their heart, they did what was right in their own eyes, and everything worked out. Well, it didn't. Uh, here's, here's the way it reads in verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. And they married not women that worship the God of Israel. Editors note: like they were supposed to. But they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they'd lived there ten years, both Malon, uh, Malon and Kilion also died. I mean, just heartbreak, it's just, you know, and Naomi, who left Bethlehem so that they would live, I mean, the the author's pointing out the irony, you know, they go to survive, and now three of the four of them are dead, heartbreak, I mean, first her husband Elimelech dies, and we don't know what happened, maybe he had a stroke, You know, maybe he got um, cancer, we don't know. We don't know, maybe it was just an accident, we don't know. But what we do know is that left Naomi in a really, really bad place. And because she was away from God's people, uh, her two sons naturally married Moabite women. And I want to give these boys the benefit of the doubt. I'm sure these were beautiful women, I'm sure they were cute, I'm sure they had great personalities. I'm sure they were warm and caring and giving. And that these boys saw something in them that made them want to spend the rest of their life with these girls and they probably thought when they married them well it's okay because down the line i'll convert them down the line you know i'll uh they'll come to my way of thinking they'll come over to uh, my way of thinking and my spiritual preferences and my God you know but the important thing is they're really cute and they've got a good personality and these guys have jobs because the last boyfriend I had didn't even have a job but at least these guys you know they have jobs so I'm gonna marry us now um, it's so interesting because sometimes people will say to me hey Brad is it okay You know, if I'm like a follower of Christ, I'm like a Christian if I marry someone who's not a follower of Christ or not a Christian. And the answer is, according to Scripture, it's not okay. And it's not that God is being restrictive. It's not that God doesn't want you to have fun. It's that God is actually telling you that because he loves you he's telling you that because he wants you to live your very best life. He wants your future children and your future husband to live their very best life. But he says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's what he says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Now that, that phrase, yoked together, means don't enter into an intimate partnership that could be marriage, that could be like, okay, hey, we're going to be business partners, we're going to run this uh, business together. In this case, it would be, you know, don't run a family together. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or, or you know, what fellowship can light have with dark? And so, look, God's Word says, look, don't do that. But yet, they did that. They did what was right in their own eyes, and they married Moabite women and I'll tell you ladies why it's so important that you marry a man and or men why it's so important that you marry a woman who has the same passion for Jesus that you do because one day your kids are gonna they're gonna you're gonna have kids and, and they're gonna get sick and you want a husband and you want a wife that is going to pray with you for those children You don't want to be the only one praying in those circumstances. And furthermore, um, I have no idea what the furthermore was. (laughs) So awkward when you're standing up in front of hundreds of people and you got no idea what you're supposed to be saying. Well, that's me. Do you feel bad for me? I hope that you do. You probably should. Anyway, uh, my point was that... um, yeah, look, you don't want to do that by yourself. And here's, a, here's the sad thing. Here's what we know. If, if uh, children grow up in a home with one parent that loves Jesus and another parent that doesn't, guess whose lead those children are more likely to take? The one that doesn't love Jesus. You know why? Because that's the easier path. That's the easier road. That's the more comfortable way to live. And so do you see how that decision starts to unfold and have all these consequences down the road? No, 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 no. I got to address something because here's what some of you are thinking. I, there's some young ladies out there and here's what you're thinking. Well, but I'm going to change them. Like I'm going to, look, hear the laughter. Laughter right? Like, I'm going to make them into my image. This is what we do when we marry someone. We think to ourselves, well, they have some rough edges. They have some things I don't like. But when we get married, I'll start to chip away at those. Now, I have good news and bad news. Which would you like to hear first? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the good news, there really is no good news. I just said that to make you feel good. The bad news is you're not going to do that. That's not going to happen. The only, listen, I've been married almost 40 years. I have come to the strong conclusion that the only person I can change in my marriage is my wife. No, it's not my wife. It's me. I'm the only person I have any control over in my marriage. And guess what? Do not marry someone that you think you can make into your image. You cannot. You just can't. Well, so... You now have 3 widows with no homes, no money, no hope, no savings, no social security. So finally Naomi is so desperate in Moab that she decides to go back. You you saw the word. She hears a rumor right that God is once again providing food for his people in Bethlehem, and so she decides to go back to Bethlehem and she's going to, her two daughter-in-laws are tentatively going to go with her and they get ready to go and she looks at her daughters-in-laws and she says, listen ladies, if you go with me, your life is going to be hard. Like, people in Israel don't take kindly to Moabites. In fact, one of the things you see in the whole book of Ruth all the way through, it calls her Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite. The fact that she's a Moabite is just always right there in her face. And she says, people there aren't going to take kindly to you. Life is probably going to be hard for you ladies if you move. You guys should stay there in Moab, and you should just find young Moabite men and you should marry them and just try to have the best life that you can in Moab and Orpah one of her daughters-in-laws agrees weeps she loves her mother-in-law but returns back and lives the rest of her life in Moab but Ruth Ruth is so fiercely loyal to her mother-in-law. And so she says these amazing words. These are words that you might hear at weddings. You might see them on birthday cakes. I, we actually have these words in a room in, uh, in my upstairs office upstairs. Uh, these are words that are very, very popular on wedding cakes. And here's what they are. It's Ruth 1 verse 16. Don't urge me, Naomi, to leave you or to turn back from you. And here's the big wedding cake verse where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Just this fierce loyalty. Now she says this not thinking she's going to have a better life. Isn't it funny? That's why people immigrate, right? People immigrate to another country so they can have a better life. Well, Ruth is an immigrant, and she's going to immigrate to another country, but she's going to do that thinking at least that she's not going to have a better life. She's going to have a worse life. And so, but she's so loyal. And then, uh, the declara- there's this amazing declaration of dependence on God. Not just fierce loyalty to a person, but fierce loyalty to God. She says this, and your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. In other words, I'm done with Chemosh. I'm done with the sacrificing of children i'm done with all of that i'm going to leave moab and i'm going to go to bethlehem right and so she decides uh to go she makes this kind of this dedication and really to her that's kind of her moment that's the one decision the one commitment that is going to change everything throughout the rest of the book of ruth that one decision that one decision is not only going to change her life that decision is going to change her legacy her destiny because i'm not going to give away too much but uh because there's going to be lots and twists and turns to the story and we're going to learn so much together but near the end of the book ruth is going to marry And she's going to bear a son, and then that son is going to bear a son, and that son is going to bear a son. And that's going to become part of the lineage, part of the family tree of Jesus Christ. This sinful Moabite woman, you know, who's uh, apart from God, apart from God's people, and then all of a sudden uh, she finds her way into a family tree of honor. Just an incredible story. I can't wait to unpack it with you. But what Ruth does here in these two verses is a picture of what the New Testament might call repentance. Repentance literally means to change your mind about something. Maybe it means to change your mind about Jesus. Maybe it means to change your mind about your sin. Maybe it means to change your mind about your living situation. Maybe it means to change your mind about the way you spend your money. Maybe it means to change your mind about the way that you use your body. But every time that you do that, that's the word. You're you're returning re to repent something higher something better something more noble than before in this case if you want to get to someplace good you got to leave that place that's bad in other words if you want to get to bethlehem you got to leave moab and so here's the question what is it that you need to leave behind for god to be the king of your life Elimelech, that's what that name means. Or, or is it just going to be about you doing what? what's right, you know, in your own eyes, just following your heart, doing, you know, determining your own truth and living that out, you know, what's it going to be? So, you know, maybe you're a little fuzzy, so it's my job as your pastor to give you some specific examples to help us tease this out. So maybe you're dating somebody who's not honoring you or honoring God. Well, let me just say, to marry the right person, you have to leave the wrong person first. You know, um, yeah, and uh, I'll just say this, you know, uh, what, again, the question is what one decision do you need to make? What one action, what one change could set your life on a whole new trajectory? Well, I'll keep going. You know, some of us could probably cut up some credit cards. The, the truth is, there are some of us in the room, and we, we, we're like, budget? Like, what's that? Like, I don't even, you know, we just, we just live the way we want to. We do what's right in our own eyes, and if there's not enough money, well, we'll put it on credit, and you've lived that way for a long time, and it's, now it's time to pay up, right? That's, you, some of us need to repent, you know, from that, right? Cut back on our spending. Others of us, maybe you could be listen, maybe you're in a marriage that's just grown cold and distant. And maybe you need to be the first one to apologize. Maybe you need to be the first one to humble yourself. And say, honey, I am sick and tired of living in separate ends of the house, living separate lives, trying to pretend that everything is okay. Let's work on us. Let's get, let's not just get through this. Let's get through this together before the Lord. And that means that some of you could be a husband, and wife. You need to make the decision. Look, it's time for us to go and talk to somebody. We need counseling. We need help. You know, but Be be that person. Listen, I'm just got to tell you: if you're in a marriage and you don't know how to say I'm sorry or apologize, your marriage is not going to last. It is going to fail. these are words that you have to learn these are actions that you have to uh, humble yourself and we're going to talk a lot more about relationships and marriage as we watch ruth's relationship grow with somebody that she's going to begin to date once she winds up date is probably an inappropriate word that's our word that's not their word that's not the word they used in their culture uh, but some of us are here, and listen, you've been sitting in this seat, one of the seats in here for a long, long time, but you've ne- you haven't been serving. You, you haven't been a minister. You haven't been uh, serving either within the four walls of this church or in one of our community ministries. 2024 has to be the time where you say, all right, you know what? I'm going to start to serve. Others of us are here. We're not in community with other believers you know, this has to be the year where you go, you know what, I'm going to get in a group. What one decision could you make today that could change the trajectory of your life? Because listen, friends, if you want to get to Bethlehem, if you want to get to Jesus, you got to leave Moab first. You have to. If you're going to turn to God, you have to turn from someone or something else. It's the only way. It's the only way you, you can't get to the right person if you're not willing to leave the wrong person and so there's some of us here maybe god's calling us to an act of surrender and we're resisting that you know don't don't you know there are some of us here we need to fall on our knees in broken repentance to god say god i want you to be my lord and my king i don't want to keep doing what's right in my own eyes you know, to get to the wrong place, you have to, or to get to the right place, you have to leave the wrong place. And if you do, if you do, the Lord is going to work in your life. And so I want to give you hope today. If you're in a place where you feel stuck, if you're in a place where you feel like you just never imagined that you would be, there is hope for you, and it starts with repentance. Repentance. Change your mind. Change your mind about where you are. Make the decision that before the Lord, you're going to take the steps that would honor him to move you from here to there. Because friends, for some of us, the only way out is through. The only way out is through. And you're going to need the Lord for that. You're going to need his strength. You're going to need his wisdom. You're going to need his provision. You're going to need his help. You're going to need his will. You are going to need the Lord for that. But listen, here's the thing. Here's what I do know more than I know anything else. If you're in Moab, you don't want to stay there. You don't want to stay there. Come home come back. Here's what I want to do. I want to tell you a story that I just think ties this together in a beautiful way. This is actually just an everyday story. It's a story about going from Bethlehem to Moab, going from a place of obedience to a place of Disobedience. Okay, and it's just a great story that illustrates this. So I read this story a couple of weeks ago in a book called um, Unoffendable. Uh, Brent Hansen, I believe, is that right? That is the author. Phenomenal book. Jackie and I are actually going to teach a class on this book um, this next semester. But I read this story in that book. I immediately loved it. And again, I want to frame it. This is a Bethlehem to Moab story. So there were two dogs that lived in the country. They Uh, It was beautiful, you know. They had beautiful rolling hills, lots of sunshine. They could run and romp, and they had a very good master who was kind to them. He loved them very, very much. I mean, it was the kind of life every dog really would dream of, you know. Well, Gypsy was the older dog. Snowball was the younger dog, and every day about the same time, the master would call both Gypsy and Snowball into the house for dinner, Uh, Well, they knew they'd been taught to obey when he called, but one day, Gypsy, the older dog, as her master called for dinner, she saw a rabbit. And suddenly, she felt this sensation, like she had to chase that rabbit. But she was able to resist, and she went in and she ate her dinner. Well, the next night, she looked over as her master was calling and saw that same rabbit rabbit. But this time, she couldn't resist. She was off. The owner's like, Gypsy, Gypsy, no, come back. Well, later, Gypsy did come back, kind of as dogs do, you know, with her tail between her legs, kind of like this, you know, like she knew she'd done wrong. She didn't ever want to do it again. But you know what? The next day, same thing. The master calls for dinner. There's a rabbit. Gypsy just goes out after this rabbit, right, just over and over and over again and uh, and so soon snowball the younger dog was able to roam free while Gypsy had to be on a leash because her own and her owner was heartbreaking he didn't want her to be on a leash but he knew he couldn't trust Gypsy to stay home uh, I mean he loved her he just knew he couldn't trust her anymore so one day the master wanted to give his dogs a treat so he decided to take them out into the woods in his car Gypsy and Snowball loved the smell of the woods, you know, they loved to roam, they loved to explore. Well, when they arrived, Gypsy, who was now used to uh, disobeying her master, took off into the woods before the master could even get a leash on her anymore. She was so excited. She was free and she was running and it felt so good. And, uh, but she noticed something, that as, as she continued to run, she, she was hearing the master call her at first, Gypsy, Gypsy, come back, stop. But as she continued to run, that voice became fainter and fainter and fainter and fainter. And pretty soon, Gypsy was aware that she was no longer hearing the voice of the master Meanwhile, the master and Snowball were looking, yelling for Gypsy, looking for Gypsy. Hours and hours passed. Uh, Sadly, at the end of the evening, the master, just in tears, packs Snowball up into the car alone and leaves. And that master would never see Gypsy again. Aren't you glad I told you that story? Isn't that a wonderful story? Well, there's a little more to it. There's a little more to it. In fact, let me just tell you right now, I hope one day to have grandchildren that I can tell this story to, and I'll tell you what I want them to remember when I tell it. So here's the rest of the story. Gypsy, that night, found herself cold, alone, hungry, thirsty, but Gypsy managed to survive, at least for a little while, even though she was alone, and and eventually she had a litter of puppies. And she was so quick to tell this litter of puppies about the kindness and the goodness of the master. And so they heard all the stories about the goodness and the kindness of the master. And then those puppies grew up and they had dogs, little puppies. And those puppies told their puppies about the master. But by then, no one really knew or had even seen the master at all. It was just the rumors of his kindness and of his goodness. Now here's why I would want to tell my grandchildren this story one day and the thing that I would most want them to remember. I would most want them to remember that the Master is good and kind and merciful. And you never want to run away from that. You never want to wander far from that. You know, that's a Bethlehem to Moab story, and it's perfect because we get it. We get it. Dogs don't always know what's best for them, do they? Well, guess what? Neither do you, and neither do I, neither do we. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I just want to ask you again, we're, we're going to come back to this question. What one decision, what one thing do you need to leave behind so that you can come to the place where God wants you to be? Let me pray wisdom for you in that. Papa, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, that you would Uh, prompt that you would move and that you would guide and I pray that you would uh, place open hearts in all of us in the room and that we would desire nothing but to be close to you that we would desire nothing but to bask in your kindness in your grace and in your mercy and that we would always desire in our hearts God to hear your voice and do what you ask. In the mighty name of jesus we pray amen so what do you do when you're stuck when you want to get from here to there well you make a decision right you make you 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 start to do the things that the lord asks you to do and then pretty soon you're back in the place where the lord wants you to be hey so one of the things i love is that we um uh, the first of every month here we're so privileged to take communion together as a church Family and um, i love the way that we do it and so i just want to walk you through that you're going to notice there are tables here in the front we have tables in the back we want to invite everybody in a few moments i'm going to release you and we're going to invite you to come up and uh, our hosts will serve you uh, the bread you'll take the cup and then you can if you want to go back to your seat you can come down this aisle here and or down the side aisles and go back to your seat or uh, for the purposes of the morning we're going to consider this an altar if you'd like to come and kneel at this altar or kneel with your family rather than go back to your seat you're welcome to do that Um, the only ask we make is that you hold on to the bread and to the cup that you receive we're going to worship as we're picking up these elements and then uh, we're going to take communion together i'm going to come back up and I will prompt you, and um, we'll remember our Jesus together. You know why? Because there's such power in together. So come and receive. The altar is open. on the night that he was betrayed the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me let's remember our Jesus together And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Till he comes. God bless you.
2: Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim. clear that together. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe out of the silence. Brad has spoken and being challenged to leave our Moab. Lord God, I pray that you would guide and direct us and help us to look to other believers um, to help us carry that burden. In Jesus' name, amen.